So, how'd you like that extra hour of sleep last night? Pretty good. Yeah, it was nice. It's amazing the difference, one hour. How many of you just stayed up an hour later and squandered it? (laughs) Yeah, I did as well, so... Hey, it's good to see you this morning. Um, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Hey, we're going we're gonna to start a series uh, this morning, and it's going to take us over the next four weeks, the next four Sundays. Uh, and the series is entitled Letters to the Church. Letters to the Church. If you want to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, we're going to bounce around a little bit in the book of Galatians. And some of you remember getting letters. Know what I'm talking about? I'm not, I'm not talking about bills or junk mail. Can you believe how much junk comes in your mailbox? It's amazing. Like you sift through it just to find the bills anymore. But I, I remember as a kid getting letters. Like someone sat down and wrote a letter to me and put a stamp on it and mailed it, in some cases, around the world, and then I would sit and read their words. Who remembers this, right? It was, it was a primary form of communication before email and now FaceTime and text messaging. Letters were a big deal, and I, I still actually like getting letters. Now, have you noticed that marketers are kind of kind of cluing into this. You get those, those junk mail letters, but they look like handwriting. And your heart gets kind of, you're like, oh, oh, come on. <laughs> and it, you just, it's a little bait and switch because they know, they know that we like to get real letters. I want to encourage you just right out of the gate with this message this morning. Find time maybe this week to send a note to someone. Just send them a card. I, I know Pastor Deb is really good at this. She loves, many of you have received little note cards, little letters from, from Pastor Deb just in, encouraging you. Let's do that. Let's just think of someone, ask the Lord. God, put someone on my heart that I can send them. You might have to find out what their address is. You know what I'm talking? Like we have phone numbers and emails anymore. I was looking at my contact list the other day. I thought, I don't have a lot of actual physical addresses, mailing addresses anymore. But send a letter to someone and, and encourage him that way. Well, in the Bible, we have a number of letters. In fact, in the New Testament, of the 27 books written in the New Testament, 21 of them are letters. 21 are letters. Now, the fancy biblical name is epistle. So you've ever wondered, you're reading through your Bible and you see, oh, the epistle to the Ephesians. Epistle is just a fancy word for letter. These were letters that were written to both the church and to individuals. So 21 of the 27 books in 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 the New Testament were letters. And they were written to be personal and purposeful. There was a reason why these letters were written. And so it's good for us then to pay attention to what was said to the church. What was God trying to speak to the early church through these letters that were written by people like the Apostle Paul? So we have 21 epistles, and of those, 13 were written by the Apostle Paul. And so three of his letters were pastoral epistles, letters written to Timothy and Titus, um, and, and gave instruction about how they should be leading within the church. And nine of the letters were to 
congregations, to, to the church at large. And then there's one letter, it's one of, a very short letter uh, to Philemon uh, that, that kind of overlaps a little with the pastoral epistles, but its purpose and intent was a little different. But 13 of the 21 written by the Apostle Paul. We want to take the next four weeks and I'm going to just overview each Sunday. We're going to look at, at one of the epistles. We're going to look at one of these letters just to kind of get a sense of why, why was Paul writing these letters to the early church? Uh, I, it would be great to actually go into all of them and go into depth into all of them, but I want to, I'm going to give you homework. Go home and, and read through some of these letters. And listen to what God would speak to you through them. We're going to look at, the, over the next four Sundays, we're going to look at Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Let's pray as we get started this morning. Father God, we ask this morning that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, we recognize that you are present in this place and you are present in our lives to direct, to convict, to encourage, to empower, to do the work that only you can do. And so we invite you to do that in our lives this morning. Amen. We understand this when we read about uh, the people in the New Testament. We understand that they didn't have the ease of convenience of, of communication and even transportation that we have today. When Paul writes these letters to these various churches, it's not like he sticks a stamp on it, drops it, even, even the graphic up there. It's a bit of a misnomer, right? Because that's an airmail envelope. Because there used to be a distinction between airmail and like just regular mail, like even just stick it on a horse and send it somewhere. Um, but back in those days, they would write a letter and then they would hand carry that letter. So the, the letter would be given to someone who would then get on a boat or get on a donkey or just walk to wherever the location was and hand deliver that letter. And so when we read about these letters in the New Testament, we have to remember that, that they were very intentional and there was a lot of care and a lot of effort that was put into it. And, and usually they were the result of, especially in the case of Paul, they were the result of things that he was hearing about what was going on in the life of the church at that time. And so he would write a letter in, in response to what he was hearing that was, that was happening in the early church. What I've been really struck with is this. Though the, the culture of these places was different, and while the the, 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 the surroundings and the norms of that culture were very different. And though the language was very different, what I've realized is this, that people have not really changed a lot. We've not really changed. And a lot of the things that Paul writes to address in the epistles are still things that we deal with today, almost 2,000 years later. And so while some of the context might be a little different for us, the, the reality is that the Holy Spirit brings those words to life and that there's things about who we are as people, as human beings that need to be addressed and can be addressed as the Holy Spirit brings these words to life uh, in our presence this morning. So Paul writes this letter to the Galatian church, to the Galatian church. It's a, a church uh, in a region just north of where Israel would have been, up in what is now modern-day Turkey, up in that region. And, and it's believed that the book of Galatians, or the letter to the Galatians, was the first of all of the letters 
that was written by the Apostle Paul. So even though chronologically in the Bible we, it falls after uh, some other letters, what we understand is this, is that it's probably the first letter he wrote. Which, in my, my thinking, if it's the first letter you write, it's probably an important letter. You're probably going to say some important things in this letter. And, and Paul writes this letter to the, the Galatian church in response, again, to what he's heard going on. And what he's heard is going on in the church is not good. It's not good. I think sometimes we read scripture in kind of a, a neutral tone, right? We, we read it in, you, you hear your own voice, you hear your own tone of voice in the letter. We understand this when we read things in context, when we understand why the letter was written, what the purpose was, it helps us to understand the tone that it was written in. And I've got to tell you, Paul writes the letter to the Galatian church, and he's not happy. He's not happy. And it's not a warm, fuzzy kind of letter. It's not a, though he says in the letter, I love you, there, there's a tone in this letter where he's just frustrated. And he, he uses some language in this letter that, that is pretty, pretty harsh. It's pretty tough. There's some tough love that comes through in this letter. And so I want to take a look at why did Paul write this letter to the Galatian church. There's two verses in particular that I think really encapsulate the heart behind why Paul writes. The first is this, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Listen to what Paul says to the church. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. You hear Paul's concern? You hear that the, the, there's this underlying, just, I always say panic, but there's this underlying frustration. There's this underlying, almost a, an anger that's coming out in this. And he says, I'm astonished. I'm thoroughly confused. I'm, I'm, I, I don't get it. Guys, I don't, I don't get what's going on. If you're doing emotionally healthy relationships, maybe you'd say, I'm puzzled. I'm puzzled by what I'm hearing is happening in the church. I'm puzzled by what's going on. I'm astonished. And astonished is a strong word, isn't it? It's not like surprised. Paul's going, you know better. You know better. We're going to get into that in a little bit more in just a minute. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 is the other verse that I think kind of nutshells a little bit of what Paul's heart is. He says to the Galatian church, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But you can't take it for granted. You have to stand firm. You have to stand in that freedom. And the overarching theme of the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians, is this. Freedom. Say freedom. freedom. It's freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. See, the Galatian church had eagerly embraced the gospel as it was presented to them. 
Their hearts had been stirred and they responded to Jesus Christ as they were presented with the the good news. But they got distracted. They got led astray. See, what happened was, is, is that people, there's people that start showing up in the church and they start saying, yeah, Jesus is great and all, but. Can I just tell you right now, if anyone ever in your life says, Jesus is great, but, end the conversation right there. Because there's nothing else. It's not Jesus and, it's just Jesus exclamation point. These teachers that come into the church and they said, well, yes, Jesus died and, and that's wonderful, but... What you have to do is you actually need to follow the Jewish law as well. And they specifically keyed in on the issue of circumcision and of food. I'm like, don't mess with the food. They're going, listen, the food, there's there's issues of food that is sacrificed and you have to follow these customs and you have to do all of these things. Now remember Galatians and the Galatian church is a Gentile church. And so the, the Jewish, these Jewish teachers are coming in and saying, if you want to be a, a follower of Jesus, a true follower of Jesus, you kind of be a sort of follower of Jesus, but if you want to be a true follower of Jesus, you actually have to do all of these other things as well. And they introduce this performance mentality into the church that you have to do, you have to act a certain way. And they start believing it. They start buying into it. And in fact, there's all kinds of arguments that start rising up in the church as they're trying to figure out, well, what is the right thing? What is the right way? And they believe, they start believing that in order to be saved, you have to follow the law. Paul writes and says, no, 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 no. I'm astonished that you would even turn away because you know what Jesus has done for you. See, it's not about the law. It's about following Jesus. To have that relationship with God, to be saved, all you have to do is follow Jesus. You have to call on the name of Jesus. That's it. That is it. And so Paul writes to them to correct this wrong thinking. And because of that, his, t- his tone is firm. Years ago, we'd gone to the Grand Canyon with our kids, and, uh, and they were little at the time. And um, I don't know if you've been to the Grand Canyon, but, but you realize this, that there's some places there's just no rails. There's no, it's like, like sidewalk, thousand foot drop. And, and my little boys are full of energy and they're running around and I'm, I'm like freaking out. I'm having this and I'm not enjoying the serene vista. I'm panicked, right? And so my boys and they're, they're boys, they're adventurous and, and they're just like, oh, I want to go check this out. And so I, I didn't speak to them as they're getting closer to the edge. I didn't say, hey, Micah, I just love you so much. And I just, I just think you're so wonderful. And I just thank God that he gave you to me and that I've been, you've been entrusted to my care. And I would just love it if you would just step back a little bit. And no, no, my tone was, no, I didn't want to freak him out, 
right? Because you know what I'm talking about, parent. You, you're like, I don't want to like cause him to run into the traffic, but I need him to know that he needs to stop and get back over here. So I took on that dad tone that you, you know. I, I, have to, I have a dad tone and I have a dad look. So if they can't see me, they get the tone. And if they can't see me, they get the look. And if things are really bad, they get both. And I used the tone that was firm. It was the authority that was, has been given to me as a dad to say, you need to get back over here right now. I'm not messing around. And if you really mean it, you start counting. Any counters? One. No, I didn't even count. There's a cliff. You need to get back over. Imagine this. Paul cares about the church, the Galatian church, like, like they're his own kids. They're like they're his own kids. And so his tone is not, hey guys, I love you and you're just wonderful. And you know, it'd be really good if you stop listening to the lies. No, he, his tone in this letter is, you're heading for a cliff and you need to get back over here now. It's a loving father. It's, a, it's the heart of a father saying to his kids, you're, you're in error. You're making a mistake. And it's not okay. Paul's not messing around. Now again, we read scripture, we read the Bible, and we tend to overlay what's going on in our lives. And the way we interpret scripture and the things that we think about, we overlay that tone over the word of God. But it's so important for us to understand who was this written to? Why was it written? Who was writing it? And even what was the tone? What was the tone? And then we can ask this question, God, what are you saying to us? Could it be that there's some places in our lives and in the church today where things are being addressed in the church in this way? You know, that's probably not a good idea. But I don't want to offend I don't want to push any buttons. I, I want to come across as being too heavy-handed. Could it be that in the church today, there's some things that God wants to speak to us and say, you need to get back over here because you're heading for destruction. You need to stop. You need to turn around. God loves us so much that he would even take the words that Paul wrote to that church and give us Give them to us in Scripture, in the Bible, so that we can learn. It's with that heart, then, that we need to turn to Scripture this morning, that I'd love for us to look at a couple of points, just a, a handful of points out of the book of Galatians. This is not a full treatment by any means. My encouragement to you is, go read the book of Galatians. It's not very long, but there's so much good stuff in it, especially if we read it through the right lens. So what is Paul saying to the church in Galatia? The first thing is this. He's saying, you are free to live. You are free to live. Can I tell you, church, this morning, you are free to live. You're like, great, thanks. What does that mean? You are free to live. Paul writes in Galatians 1, 1 through 5, the introduction to this book and to this letter. Paul an apostle sent not from men nor by, by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me. 
to the churches in Galatia. So not just one church, but there's a series or a number of churches that this, this letter is written to. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we understand this in, in the epistles, the, rather than signing their name at the end of the letter, they would start the letter identifying who was writing the letter. Not just as a matter of convenience, but there's an authority that comes with this. Why should I listen to you? He says, well, because I'm the Apostle Paul. And not in an arrogant way. He had relationship with them. He, he knew them and they knew him. And he says, I'm, I'm not sent by any person. No person sent me and, 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 and no one has assigned me to this task. The call that I have on my life comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. From God the Father. God raised Jesus and he lays, I mean, this is verse 1. He just jumps right in and he says, I need to establish who God is. Who Jesus is and what, the, what the, the right way of thinking is. See, the one who sent me is Jesus and the Father. And, and Jesus is the one who was raised from the dead by the Father. And he came with grace and he came with peace. Why? So that he could give his lives for us. So he could give his life for us. So that we would not be slaves to sin anymore. Amen. To rescue us. To rescue us. From the present evil age. I don't know if you've ever need to be rescued. In your life. You know you watch news reports. Of places where there's flooding. And you see people who end up on the roof of their house. And the national guard will come in. And lower a basket down. And, and snatch them out of that precarious or perilous situation. We know this when, when, when we're in a place that we can't save ourselves, we need someone to come in and do the rescuing work. Even something so simple as being at the beach, down at the, 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 the you know, Huntington or Bolsa Chica, and you're out there swimming, and you, maybe you've been down there and you've got caught in a riptide or a rip current, or you've seen someone, or you've seen a child getting caught in that rip current, and you're just so thankful that there's that lifeguard there that's ready to go swim out with their, right, their flotation device, and they come out, and they, they're able to pull you across to safety. When you're in trouble, and you know you're in trouble, and you know that there's nothing you can do about it, you need somebody. Jesus knew that we were in trouble, that we were caught in our sin, and we were subject, and we were slaves to this evil age, to this present evil age, that we were born into sin, and there's nothing that we could do about it, but Jesus, but Jesus saw what was going on, and, and sent by the Father to rescue us from the power of sin and death. And he rescues us in this present evil age. What, he said, what Paul is saying to the church is, you didn't save yourself, that Jesus saved you. He did for you what no person could do, according to the will 
of the Father. See, freedom, freedom is tied to the gospel. Freedom is tied to the gospel. It has to be. There is no other place of freedom. We talk about freedom, especially in our country. Right? We're Americans. We love our freedom. We celebrate our freedoms. And we we certainly enjoy a lot of our freedoms. But we have to understand this, that freedom comes from somewhere. Freedom comes from somewhere. That when you're in bondage and you walk into freedom, someone has to do something. Something has to happen that opens that door, that opens that, that jail cell, that opens that gate, that releases those chains, that allows you to walk from bondage into freedom, from slavery into freedom. Jesus did that work for us. And freedom is tied to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the freedom that we experience in Jesus cannot come from anywhere else, which is the issue that was being dealt with with the Galatian church. Because Paul addresses that and he says, listen, you know that freedom is found in Jesus. So why are you believing all of these other things that are coming back and putting shackles back on your arms and on your legs? And you're starting to believe that Jesus isn't enough. We call that heresy. Anything that would teach that Jesus isn't enough is not of God. Is not of God. See, freedom is tied to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The idea that we can go from death to life, from bondage to freedom, only happens because of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. That He has rescued us from the power of sin. That He has rescued us to a life in him. You see, we're free to live. We're free to live in Him. In Him we live and move and have our being. It's all centered on the person of Jesus Christ. And so everything that flows out of our lives in a way of freedom comes because of what Jesus has done. Can I tell you, church, just like the Galatian church, it's easy for us to lose sight of that. That we can start believing that there's other things we need to do. Other activities that we need to participate in. Other things that need to happen in our lives that, that make us qualified, to make us freer. You cannot be more free in Jesus than you are right now. It's not that freedom has this sliding scale. You hear what I'm saying? That when you come to Jesus and He sets you free, He sets you free. It's not partial freedom. It's not like work release. You can go, go out during the day, but at night you got to come back. That the freedom we have in Jesus is complete. That we are free to live in Him. Free of bondage. Free of slavery. And as Apostle Paul writes in Romans, free of condemnation. And maybe you've thought, well, wouldn't that be nice? Oh, I'd love to live free of condemnation. You can, and you, you have it fully available to you in the person of Jesus. See, you're free to live. You're free to live for Him. In this time, in the context that these letters were written, slavery was something that was a lot more 
uh, it was a lot more aware of. We, we, we talk about slavery in, in more of a historical sense, though there are still places where we see slavery and, and like sex traffic in the world, in the world around us today. And, uh, but, but really, slavery is something that's a little more of a distant uh, and more historical uh, aspect. Where for Paul, slavery was something was a very present reality. When they talked about slavery, they understood because they were surrounded with it. And the idea that a slave would be set free was a big deal. It was a big deal, but a slave could only be set free if someone did the freeing work. Slaves could not set themselves free. Jesus set us free from the slavery to sin and to death, from the power of this present age. He's telling them, you're free to live. You're free to live. Keep your eyes on Jesus and forget about what these other people are trying to bring in and introduce and tell you you need to do the hoops that they're trying to tell you you need to jump through. Next thing is this, is that Paul tells, is telling that they're free to change. They're free to change. And he uses his own life as an example. In Galatians 1, 11 through 16, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by, the, by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. And he goes on to say, a lot of other important things. We'll stop right there. Paul's story was not unknown to them. And, and we're somewhat aware of Paul's story. And it's more like we think about Paul like you, you, before Jesus, you were this really bad guy who killed Christians. Which is, is true, but there's more to it. And after you have this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, there's this radical tra transformation, and you become a really good guy. And so there's, there's truth that Paul was not a good guy. He meets Jesus, and now he's a great guy. But there's all more involved. See, Paul was sold out for what he believed. He wasn't just killing Christians because he had nothing else to do. He wasn't bored and wasn't like... See, Paul was fully devoted and fully committed to his faith. He was fully committed to his Judaism. He was fully committed to the law. And he was advancing. He was a star pupil. Top of the class. Exceeding everyone else. And he was so committed to his faith that anything that would stand against his faith or introduce heresy into his faith, needed to be removed. And so there was a righteous anger that burned inside of Paul. And so when the way, when Christianity comes on the scene, and people start talking about this man Jesus, who was the Messiah, 
And he's going, no, 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 no. I, I, I know the law. I know what, what, what my Bible teaches. And he's not the Messiah. This is, this is not the right way. He's still to come. The Messiah is still to come. And to this day, Jewish people are still waiting for their Messiah. Paul is upset. See, because he sat under the teaching of rabbis like Gamaliel, who have invested into his life from when he was a child. He studied the scriptures and he knows the word. And so he's fired up and he is doing what he believes is the right thing. And he talks about that. I went out and I was trying to destroy the church. Because I was zealous for the traditions of my father's. But then he has this encounter with Jesus on the road. And there's the shining light and the voice. Paul, Saul at the time, why are you persecuting? And what's what Jesus says? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He says, why are you persecuting me? And And Paul in that moment has an encounter with Jesus that transforms his life. And here's what he realizes and what he says here in verse 16. In that moment, he realizes that everything he'd been learning his whole life was not accurate. And so he knew that in that moment, he couldn't go find people to teach him what he needed to know. He recognized in himself that he would be led astray. And so what does he do? He presses into the presence of Jesus. And you can read about it in Galatians. He talks about the timeline. He takes three years and he separates himself. And for three years, he just immerses himself in the presence of God. And Jesus begins to reveal himself to Paul and bring about this radical transformation in his life. See, he had an experience with Jesus and everything changed. See, we are free to change. But we, I think what we do is this. We start thinking that the freedom to change means that we have to change ourselves. And you've probably found out the hard way that you can't. You've probably been frustrated by the fact that you're like, I just wish I could, if I was just a little bit more disciplined... If I just read a few more books, if I just went to church more regularly, if I just prayed more, if I did more nice things, then then my life would change. But can I tell you this morning, like with Paul, the thing, the only thing that changes us is the presence of God. See, Jesus has provided the way to transformation. And the lie of the enemy is this, that you can't change, that it's too late. There's some things that you might be able to redeem, but there's a whole lot that you can't. And that the reality is he's the accuser. And he's just accusing, accusing, accusing. That or we buy into wrong thinking. It says this, that God can't love me. Because of my mistakes. God can't love me until I change. And I'm not talking about people who don't know Jesus. I'm talking about people who do. 
that we have these conversion experiences that we receive Jesus into our lives. And at first, it's awesome. But then we start getting a little bit of knowledge along the way, and we introduce some other teaching along the way, and now all of a sudden, that, that freedom that we had, that lightness we had at first with Jesus becomes bogged down. Can I tell you, Jesus wants us to walk in the place of lightness. Talks about his yoke. Take home my yoke. It's not heavy. It's, it's light. I do the heavy lifting for you. So you don't have to do anything to please God. You trust him. You put your faith in him. And then he does a work in you. See, we are changed only in the presence of God. Paul's transformation was all about God. Paul's transformation was all about the person of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't say, hey, I figured some things out. I was going to say the light went off, but, but it really did, but a different kind of light. Paul didn't say, oh, I came to this realization. No, he just simply had an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. See, God was the subject of his change in Paul was the object. See, sometimes I think we want to make change about us, and what we have to do is say, God, it's about what you're doing. Jesus, you did the work so that I don't have to struggle, that I can be free to be transformed. See, change is not birthed out of traditions. Change is not birthed out of teaching and books or even sermons. My, my prayer would be that what, what I say today would touch your heart and speak to you. But I know this. This sermon is not going to change your life. My hope is this. Is that out of what God is speaking to this morning that you will press into who He is. And allow Him to transform and change your life. Change is not birthed out of church attendance or more activity. Change and transformation comes in the presence of Jesus. And so we need to press into who Jesus is. We need to make sure that we keep our eyes fixed on Him. That we press in. That we find time to be with Jesus. To listen to His voice. To be still and know that He is God. To ask this question Often, what does God say? What does God say? That when we read his word, we would say, God, what are you speaking to me? And what does this tell me about who you are and your character and your nature? And then when we have a conversation with our friend and, and, and they introduce some kind of thinking, that we would always go back and say, yeah, but what does God say? God, what do you say? What do you think about that? See, because just like the Galatian church, we're easily distracted. We love the flavor of the day. We love the latest and the greatest thing. This book came out, and that teaching came out, and this podcast is available. And hear my heart, those are not bad things. But they are not a substitute for being with Jesus. And so we have to set those priorities straight we are free to change, but that freedom is found in the person of Jesus. And then finally, this morning, we're free to love. We're free to love. Paul says to the Galatian church in Galatians 5.13, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. 
You were called to be free. God's intent for you is that you would walk in freedom. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. You can take your freedom, the freedom you have in Jesus, the freedom you have to live for Him. And there's a whole lot of other things that Paul talks. Remember, he's talking about the, the, the issue of circumcision and the issue of, of food and dietary customs and laws. And, and for some people, they were okay with, hey, I'm okay to eat this. And for other people, they're going, well, it's not okay for you to eat this because the law says you can't eat this. And there's all of these tensions that rose up. I'll tell you what what the big one is for us today in the church today. Alcohol. That we we get stuck on this one because we go, well, if you really love Jesus, you won't. And I grew up in a church that said, no way. That Christianity and consuming alcohol could not be, they they were diametrically opposed. You could not have those two same things. Which biblically is not accurate. But what we're seeing now in the church is a shift where people who've embraced their freedom, I believe, are abusing that freedom. See, because Paul says, don't take something that God is okay with and use it against other people. Or let your freedom, flaunt your freedom in front of other people so that they stumble. So Paul says the responsibility is on you to make sure that you serve humbly. That the posture of our lives would be this. I want to be a blessing in your life. And if there's something in my life that is even a freedom for me that could be misconstrued or or taken a wrong way or become a stumbling block for you, I will serve you by removing that thing from my life. Can I tell you, again, in our culture, in our context as Americans, this is a hard one because we have our rights, and I have the right to this, and I have the right to that, and I am going gonna, gonna to hang on to and clutch to those things that I have a right to, even if you're offended. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Would you, would you give up some of those things? Would you, would you embrace the freedom to love people by serving them? And letting go? See, Jesus died on a cross. He emptied himself completely. And he suffered on a tree so that we could have freedom. And Paul's saying to us, just as he did to that church, hey, would you walk in the same manner with each other? See, the freedom you have isn't just for yourself. You now have this freedom to love people. And then he ties it, by the way, back to the law. Because that was the issue, right? The issue that they're having in this church is, oh, you have to, you have to observe the law. And Paul brings it full circle and he says, listen, if we really, really, really loved people, we would actually fulfill the law. Jesus said it this way, that the law, when speaking of love, that the law and the prophets hinge on these things or hung on this. The whole purpose of the law 
was to get us to a place where we would love. And if we love well, we don't need the law. We don't need that anymore because we're doing the thing that God's called us to do. So Paul kind of wraps it up really neatly. By the way, this is Galatians 5. So he goes on to talking about the fruit of the Spirit and saying the fruit needs to be evident in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It becomes this test for us to say, am I really loving people well? See, we're free to love. And the thing about freedom is you can embrace it or not. You can enjoy the freedom or not. Matthew 10, 7 through 8, Jesus says this, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. See, part of the freedom we have in Christ is this, is that we get to love people the way that Jesus has loved us. That we get to love and serve people the way that Jesus has loved and served us. I want to invite the worship team to come up as we close. Some of the issues that we face in the church today are not a whole lot different to what they were 2,000 years ago. Could it be that sometimes we get hung up on teaching and things that come from the outside, that we don't spend enough time focused on the person of Jesus Christ? Could it be that sometimes we're looking for the quick fix? I, I know I do. But I have the freedom and you have the freedom to live. You have the freedom and I have the freedom to be changed in the presence of God. And we have the freedom... We have the freedom to love the way that Jesus loved. Let's stand together as we close. Mm -hmm. So the question this morning then is, what are you going to do with your freedom? What are you going to do with your freedom? How are you going to allow the freedom that God has given you to be played out and evidenced in your life? Father God, I ask this morning that you would do a deep work in us, in your presence, Lord, that we would be changed, that we would be transformed. Jesus, thank you that you secured for us on the cross 2,000 years ago what we could not secure for ourselves, that you died for us that we might live, that we would be set free from bondage, and that we would walk in freedom. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk in that freedom daily with you. In Jesus' name.